I think it was Coco Chanel who said, a woman who changes her hair is about to change her life. Hello, it's so good to be back with another episode. Welcome to the sixth episode of the Navigating Life podcast with me, your host, Carol Joy Williams. This is a podcast about life. If you feel like the points on a compass may as well be WTF and not North, South, East, West, then this is for you. In recent episodes, we've shared some amazing stories, both difficult and triumphant and funny even. Getting older, navigating tough mental spaces. And by the way, thank you so much for your feedback on those episodes. I always love hearing from you. And when I started considering the theme for this podcast and that I wanted to talk about hair, I very quickly realized that this too is a weighty topic and one that I wanted to handle with a lot of care. For some of us, our hair has never really been something we've given much thought to. And for some of us, our hair has deeply impacted our personal narratives in profound ways. If you're someone who identifies more on the I've never really given it a second thought side of things, then I want to encourage you to listen to the stories of those who have had a more complex journey with hair as a way of gaining some insight into some of the humans going about their days around you on this planet we share. And for those of you who have a complicated relationship with your hair, or perhaps you've experienced other people having a complicated relationship with your hair, I hope in some way to honor your stories. Whether you acknowledge it or not, or whether your own story echoes those of others or not, it's impossible to ignore the fact that hair is and always has been a complex issue. If you've ever had the fortune to travel to Europe and been in any of the castles or older buildings there, you'll likely remember the tall ceilings and door frames. This was to accommodate the huge hairstyles that were fashionable at the time. It's clear that, that hair has even had an impact on things like architecture from this story. Anyway, men began to wear tall wigs made of human hair, horse hair and goat's hair that were dressed into complex masses of curls. Women placed a horsehair cushion or a wire frame on their heads, then wrapped their own hair over it and piled it high in enormous decorative hairdos, which sometimes rose several feet above the head. And then they'd add these ornate ornaments like sailing ships or windmills and whole gardens of flowers. Both women and men held their styles in place with large amounts of hair pomade made from beef fat and covered the whole thing with powder, usually made from wheat or rice flour, sometimes scented and dyed blue, pink or violet. I must say I'm very glad that I don't live in that time. I'm extremely sensitive um, to most, most of my senses are extremely sensitive, but especially my sense of smell. And I'm not sure I would have coped in this environment. <laughs> and add to that, that most Western cultures at the time considered bathing to be dangerous and thorough cleaning of the body was only attempted twice a year. This meant that these hairdos became these heaving living things with lice flourishing under these circumstances and it was not uncommon to see head scratches at the table alongside your knife and fork, silver of course because this was the bourgeoisie aristocratic side of life. 
And if you know your history, you'll know that this was the time of the French Revolution and a lot of uprising in other countries. And no doubt you've seen a movie or two about this. And something I learned while reading up for this podcast is that the white powdered hair that became so fashionable during that time was achieved by powdering the head with flour. This in a time when the French people were literally starving and precious flour was being powdered all over the aristocratic poofs. No wonder there was a revolution. What about a little closer to home? As an article in the Mail and Guardian written last year during the uproar about hair products at Click says, here is a bunch of dead cells that lie on people's heads and can be found on other parts of the body. That is for people who are not bald or do not live with alopecia. Yet so much meaning, power, identities and connotations are imbued in it. Here on a global scale is gendered, racialized, sexualized, deified and politicized. As such, hair is not just a natural or superficial object. Hair is a site of identity formation and contestation, alive with complexity, history and politics. A few years ago, I remember when Zuleika Patel, who, by the way, went to the same high school as I did, was making front page news all over the world. And I know she continues to do so. I saw some Facebook friends who were at school with me posting about how they had felt the same way at school and since about their hair. And I must say that this was one of the first times that I'd even considered that being a thing in our day and age, a definite sign of privilege, if I'm honest. I've sought to understand and be more educated on these things. I mean, I had understood some of them from studying history at school. For example, the infamous pencil test during the apartheid years where an office for race classification was set up to classify groups according to outer appearance and where hair was used to determine this and in some cases was the cause for children being taken away from their families and families being ripped apart. But there is still so much to understand, and as with most things in life, this is complex. In preparation for this episode, I asked some questions on my social media, and one of them was a poll to ask people um, whether or not they've ever changed their hairstyle to portray a certain image, and over 70% said that they had, and I've definitely done so. I've had so many different hairstyles and hair colors over the years and they've definitely mirrored my journey of feeling more and more comfortable in my own skin. In my teens and early 20s I did not like myself and I really did not like my physical appearance especially. And then I got a jaw operation which changed my face a little bit, lost some weight and dyed my hair dark brown and all of a sudden I was getting so many compliments and it felt like I was being seen for the first time. Whether or not this is actually true, you know, perhaps I was feeling more confident, so was perceived as being more confident. I'm not really sure. I'm just sharing how it felt from my perspective at the time. Someone even said to me, you're quite pretty now. Then there was the time I cut my own fringe late one night and ended up looking like a baby lion with a mane that didn't quite lie down or perhaps someone who could have joined the Arnfurt. Step aside, Yulan Difusa. And then there was that time that my friend Kate and I thought it would be a great idea to save some money and dye each other's hair. So when Carol and I left high school, 
we both um, traveled overseas to the UK and ended up at the same school um, being a general assistant so we had any number of duties looking after kids and coaching sport and we lived on the school property and earned a little bit of money but most of our money went to traveling and seeing the world um, so there wasn't much money left over for personal grooming purposes um, so after a few months um, without having had much care um, Carol decided she needed to um, touch up her roots from her highlights so I very kindly offered to um, get <laughs> some peroxide and <laughs> just touch up her roots because really how hard can it be <laughs> so um, we went off to the local superdrug and got some hair dye for me because I needed a change of colour and some peroxide for Carol's hair and we had a bit of a a session of fixing up each other's hair um, and yeah um, there's a reason why I'm not a hairdresser today Carol's hair came out fantastically um, tiger striped and <laughs> my hair came out purple I really wanted to hear a few stories from other people and I was interested to find out what their own thoughts and experiences were about hair and I got a few stories which I'm really excited to share with you. Here they are. Transition is like turning a page in a book. At times it may feel like things are taking long but you can determine your response, right? It's very unpredictable and unexpected and most of the value is found in hindsight. With the season I'm in, for some reason doing something practical is helpful in the way I position myself for what's to come. And most times, it's my hair that changes. I think it was Coco Chanel who said, a woman who changes her hair is about to change her life. Hey there. So ever since lockdown started, I've been free-forming my hair. It's the first time like I've, I've kept my hair like this long. So when you are free-forming, you pay little attention to it. You just wash it and let it grow naturally. So over time, it starts to lock up and turn into dreadlocks. I love the look. It's very unique. It's awesome. However, with the economy opening up and the misconception around hair, dreadlocks especially, I am kind of worried how I'm going to be perceived. You know, is the look uh, professional? Is it even acceptable? You know, even as much as I try to keep it neat and clean, I'm still not sure and uh, I might have to cut it. In my world, as a white adoptive mom to a transracial adoptee, my daughter, hair is a big deal. I have two biological boys whose hair I've never given two minutes of thought to, but from the start, I knew that Joe's hair would be worth the weighty investment of time, energy, money and education that it is. The care of black hair has a real raw and oftentimes political history, which I seek to continually know more about. And I must say, I love Joe's hair. It's complex and curly and so, so beautiful. We fight about it, treasure it with lots of ooh from her brothers and try to learn something new each week. 
I'm acutely aware of how people watch us when we're in public because of our unusual family makeup, and their eyes are almost always immediately drawn to Joe's hair. We get anything from compliments in pleasant conversations to advice in the hair aisle at clicks, mixed in with some please don't touch your hair from me too. I would love it if one day Joe would wear her hair for the crown that it is and what it will come to represent for her. And then I really wanted to hear from people on the other side of the chair, so to speak. People who work with hair for a living. You know, hair salons are usually busy and bustling places where often secrets are shared and laughs are had. And I was curious to hear from someone who does this every day. So I asked my hairdresser, Nick, who is absolutely amazing, to share some of his thoughts on the subject. Quick shout out to Nick. He has his own hair salon in Woodstock, Cape Town called The Hatfield. And if you are in Cape Town and you're going to any other hairdresser, you are missing out. Nick is awesome. So please do check out his website and book to have your next hairdo there. Here's Nick. What's happening guys? Nick here from Cape Town and I've currently been doing hair for 12 years of which the last three I've had my own business and um, yeah, it's fortunately survived through these crazy times. Um, yeah, just a little bit to add on to the hair sort of scene from, from my perspective. Um, you know, it's a, it's a super, super amazing job. I honestly really love it. Um, you know, sort of meeting different people every day, different conversations. Um, yeah, like people's hair is literally like a fingerprint. Everyone's hair is completely different. Um, whether it be a crown in the front or, you know, sort of whatever, um, just the texture of the hair, um, which keeps the job super interesting, you know. You know, here's interesting on another point of view of, um, you know, we can, we can change a whole appearance, whether it's a mood we're feeling on the day or, you know, just wanting to have a complete life change. Um, you know, we can obviously change our appearance by cutting our hair. And it's, yeah, I think in a sense it's underestimated. Um, you know, it's, it really, it changes your mood completely, you know, having a, a really amazing fresh new hairstyle. It's, you know, can change your wardrobe. So you've got to change your wardrobe to fit the hairstyle or, or vice versa, you know? And, um, and yeah, I think it's, it's generally, it's generally, yeah, quite a, a massive thing in our lives. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, but it is, it's a, like, it's an amazing thing, you know, um, just even being on the other side of the chair and having to, you know, chat to clients and, you know, I mean, we all, we're all human at the end of the day and some people come in and, you know, pull their heart out, hearts out about, you know, various things that have happened in their day, the last month or the last year of their lives. And it's, uh, must be honest, it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome to be on the receiving end of that, um, you know, and to sort of try and help out as much as you can. Um, and also from our side, you know, we also gain massively from the clients as well. Um, you know, just learning from other people, um, which is super awesome. After our next segment, you'll be hearing from Annalise Kotso, who is researching and writing her thesis on physical appearance and cultural identity. You definitely don't want to miss that. Up next, what the beep is going on in the world. 
Welcome to the What the Beep is Going On with my friend and colleague, Jason Skippers. Jason, this whole episode is about hair and I know that um, we've shared many a conversation on the topic and um, I just wondered if you had any thoughts, quick thoughts on your own, I guess, experience of of hair. (laughs) Everyone has a hair brain scheme on how to grow hair. Yes, That's true. Would you would you like to share one of yours? Well, I was told that in order to ensure hair growth is to put brandy on your skull or massage it in <laughs> for 30 days, so it's consecutive days, and it will heal somebody's arms. Wow. So, okay. So, you must, you must massage your scalp with brandy for 30 days consecutively, and then your hair will start growing Correct. more. Okay. Wow. That's interesting what if you miss a day then it, then you have to start over i, I would i would hazard a guess and you're continually smelling like a brewery or smelling like <laughs> some sort of thing like no thank you <laughs> wow sis. okay very very interesting i don't know um i think we should say don't try this at home maybe i, I would i would agree that especially if there's that old block because how do you argue with the traffic officer and i wasn't drinking that's my hair <laughs> I'm trying to grow it, okay. <laughs> okay, so in this segment, we usually share like a funny story that we've seen in the news. And um, yeah, I guess it's just to to look at the light side of life. Um, so can you, do you want to go first, Jason? Oh, cool, yeah. I, I, I'm, yeah, I'll definitely go first because I'm excited about this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is from Sky News and this is on the 29th of September this year. Um, the headline goes, Turkey. Missing man joins search party looking for himself. And so uh, this was, I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to butcher the name, but it's, it's, it's Behan Mutlu. I think that's how you spell it. So basically he was reported missing after wandering away from his friends in the forest while obviously drunk. So he then later joined the people joining. So, so what happened was his wife then called for a search party because they're trying to get hold of him for several hours. Where's my husband? And then they sent out a search party, police and everything. So then as he was wandering around in his drunk state in this forest area, he then joined the party. And (laughs) how it came about was, it was quite funny because this man is 50 years old. And then how how it came about was the the members of the search party began calling out his name and he replied, I'm here. (laughs) So as they keep going, I'm here, I'm here. And he's shouting out the name. And it just got to the point where we're like, what is going on? And then, um, uh, yeah, obviously, the next stop. They figured it out. out (laughs) But they say it's unclear whether he got any sort of penalties or anything against him. But it was just one of those funny moments. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It's like, you know, when someone says, I'm looking for myself. Like, it's that one is literal. (laughs) Yeah, not existential. Uh, you know, it wasn't an existential crisis of looking for himself. It was an actual, literal, <laughs> that's so funny. Um, okay, so my story today is a bit ridiculous in my view, but um, uh, it comes from New Zealand and um, they have trained cows, okay, but calves, so young, young cows, to use the loo. What they're calling a mulu. <laughs> um, so they're training young young cows to um, to use the loo, um, and the reason they're doing this because I was thinking like, what the heck is um, you know cows have been the fingers been pointed at them very often in terms of you know um, 
like gas emissions and yeah and um and warming up our planet and so they are trying this where they they potty train cows to use the loo and um yeah the thought is that maybe it'll help the environment (laughs) anyway and apparently cows are um easier to train than children I'm tempted now because I've got two girls. So I'm tempted to go try and train a cow versus try and train them to go use the loo. I want to see which one is easier because they're making the claim that training a cow is easier than training a child. That's true. Let me know how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Jason, thanks so much for joining for this segment. Um, So good to have you and all the best with the brandy and hair growth. Go away, I'm not going to do that. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye. One of the things that I love about making this podcast is hearing the stories of people I don't know. Thank you to Tanya for putting me in touch with her cousin Annalise, who is busy studying at UCT at the moment. I was particularly interested to hear about what prompted her to devote time to studying a personal appearance and cultural experience and what she'd like to see more of in the world in this regard. Here's Annalise's story. Hello, my name is Annalise Kotzer. I am a master's student at the University of Cape Town in the Department of Archaeology and I am doing my thesis on physical attributes that um, influence how cultural identity is perceived and how it is a lived experience. Physical attributes focusing specifically on hair, but also um, the color of your skin, your the shape of your nose, your cheekbones, your um, body structure. All of these things influence how specifically um, previously classified colored as well as Koi and San and Nama and Hrikwa women, how they experience their cultural identity today. My journey with my thesis started a couple of years ago when I was provided with the opportunity to do my master's. And I chose this topic because when we were younger and we used to have um, cultural days or heritage day at school and things, I always wondered what I should wear. And my father always told me, go read the encyclopedia. There was no Google at that time. And it was a struggle for me to find out who I was, not only as a colored woman, but what part of my heritage and my culture did I know and what was I practicing out. And the biggest thing for women, especially colored women, is when you leave the house, you must know that your hair is the one thing that has to be in place at all times. We are taught it from a young age that girls have to make sure that their hair is in place at all times. And one of the biggest situations that we always had was that straight is right. And the straighter your hair, the more accepted you would be. And there was this association between straight hair and beauty and having your hair in its natural state with all its curls or like we refer as like a little kruskopiki uh, was not really accepted. And when I started this journey with my thesis, it was very interesting 
to hear how people experience not only the same challenges with their hair, but also the differences that people went through. And especially going on my field work and going to about almost 16 different dorpies, experiencing all of this with the women was very important because, I mean, obviously you have your structured questions, but once women started talking about their hair journeys, there was laughs, there was tears, there was anger. There were situations where, so from our side, you were always judged if your hair was a little bit too kinky or too curly or too coarse, even if you could say that. But it was different to experience it from a perspective of a young girl that said she was treated badly because her hair was straight. So people will tell her that she thinks that she's better than everybody else because of this. And the tears and the pain that still came out that day, it just shocked me. So what I realized through all of these stories is that we all have different, but we all have very similar experiences. And we spoke about the trauma of the different kinds of ways that people try to straighten their hair over the years. And... The, it's actually like physical trauma people went through, like your hair, your skin would burn, there would be scars. So there'd be physical trauma as well as the emotional trauma of, like one girl said, she went to a party and her hair was well straightened the day before and she couldn't go into the pool because then the straight hair would go back to its roots, literally. And she had to sit on the side and watch her other friends swim and she, she, I mean, it was years ago, but that trauma still sat with her. But now the difference is, is that there is a new revolution of women embracing their natural hair. And that is such a glorious thing because unfortunately we still have older people that will judge you and say, no, you need to change that hair, you need to brush it, you need to fasten it. But the freedom that women feel that they can express now with their natural hair is such a powerful journey because we don't realize how much our hair actually affects how we feel about ourselves. So even with me, with my thesis, when I started, I had to explain to people that one, um, this using the word cruz, which I wasn't allowed to use, was a... It's a personal experience. It's a loved journey for me. And before I started with everything, I cut off my hair, all of my hair. And it started growing out. And then it went from having no hair to having a little afro, to having a big afro, to having braids, to shaving off the side of my head. And it was amazing to see how different people treated me because of the way my hair looked. Not only my own family, but the public. And it was an interesting concept to see that if my hair is short, then they will treat me this way. When my hair is shaved on the side, then they treat me a different way. So those things make you realize how you feel about yourself because it is the way that society not only perceives you, but treats you at that time because of things that we think are insignificant like our hair. But the importance of how that affects yourself, your psyche, and your self-love. So going on this journey and doing my fieldwork, it, it was a moment of self-exploration. And it was also, like many women were saying, that 
it's things we think about every day, but it's not things that we verbalize and talk about. And there's no space where they felt comfortable or even they didn't even realize that they needed the space to want to talk about um, their hair and their experiences and how they pass has influenced their lives and how they are treating their daughters now and what they're teaching them. So this journey was not only for myself, but also to allow these women, I realized, to give them that space that they have always been yearning and just having them express themselves, having that space where these things could be discussed. I was very happy that they were saying that, you know, this is the beginning of many conversations that they feel they should have in their community and especially with the young women. So at the end of the day, I will analyze all my data and I will see how different women in different parts of the country feel about themselves and their identity and specifically their hair. But I know it's a science and I'm in a science field, but it is such an emotional journey for each and every participant and myself included. And what I want and what I hope for at the end of the day is that women will find and realize the strength that they have within themselves because we cannot change how society is going to perceive us. People people are going to judge you, people are going to say what they want to say and you cannot change the perceptions of people. The only thing that you can change is how you feel about yourself. And that is what I'm hoping for at the end of the day, is the realization and the acknowledgement of self-love and inner strength, especially for women. And that hair is just hair, but it is also a part of who you are. And it is once you accept yourself with the inside, from the inside, that the outer will express itself as well. So yeah, I'm hoping that this will be the first of many, as my participants said, and that all of us will just continue to grow and to teach and to guide others in this journey. What struck me about Annalisa's story is the idea of something being right or wrong in terms of natural hair and by extension ourselves. It's become clear that hair is so much more than the dead skin cells on top of our head. Now this is not something that I want to say too much about because I recognize that this is not my own experience or story. And even being on the other side of dumb blonde jokes is nowhere near this. I'm not here to tell you how to wear your hair, but I guess my encouragement to all of us is to walk a journey in someone else's shoes, to seek to understand. Whether that's to do with hair or other things in life, and recognizing that Beauty standards are a real thing and something that we are all impacted by in some shape or form. Taking time to truly understand someone's experience and story is one of the most humanizing things we can do. And isn't this just something that we need more of in the world? I realize that a lot of the stories in this podcast are from women. And let's not forget that men are also impacted by these things. Things like balding and especially losing hair young is something that does impact self-image in men. 
Then there's hair loss due to stress or due to undergoing treatment for things like cancer. And more recently, the hair loss associated with long COVID that has seen some people I know losing their hair in chunks, not to mention medical conditions like alopecia. Whether you're completely comfortable in your own skin and hair or on a journey in that regard, there is something that we can all be and that is kind. I guess this goes for any external appearance thing. We have no idea what people are walking around with. My hope for all of us is that we will find ways to navigate this with grace and understanding, both of our own process and that of others. That we would embrace dialogue more and seek to understand, especially if you find yourself in a place where this isn't much of an issue for you. And if this pops up on your radar. Because we're here, sharing this planet with each other. We're in it for better or for worse. And my hope for all of us is that we will find true north and enjoy the beauty of the quest. <laughs>